we praise your name, O oh God. For you are great and you have done wondrous things. You have overcome death. You have overcome the evil one. You have overcome the sin that had condemned us in and through your son, Jesus. May that truth take up root in our hearts. May we give ourselves to that truth, our lives for that truth. Always living by that truth for your glory alone. As we open your word now, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to love, and hands and feet to obey. For you are worthy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I encourage you. Thank you, team, this morning. I love singing together with you. It is such a blessing to my heart. I need this time. I'll talk more about that a little bit later. But now I encourage you to open your copies of the Scriptures to Mark chapter 4 this morning. Mark chapter 4, as we continue our way through Mark's gospel, where his favorite word is the word immediately. So if you like fast, if you like action, this is your gospel, the gospel of of Mark as Mark tells us the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I want to say just a couple of things here as you're turning there in your Bibles. Number one, I'd like to say a special thank you to Pastor Brandon for speaking last week. Um, There are a couple reasons why I need to hear guys who know me preach to me. Um, I need to sit Sometimes where you are sitting, there is an ever-present danger in preaching, and that is that the preparation as well as the delivery becomes just an exercise, and it doesn't affect my heart. I pray that never happens. I pray that you can tell in my preaching that what I'm preaching has affected me deeply, that I'm moved by what I'm saying from God's word to you. But there are also times that I need to be preached to. And so thank you, Pastor Brandon, for last week unfolding for us and unpacking for us the very end of Mark chapter 3. The other reason that that was necessary was because just this past Friday, Joanne and I celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary. And since she's been married to me and put up with me for 28 years, she deserved a trip to Galena. And she earned that. And so... Thank you, Joanna. Thank you for being my wife. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for loving me. And as a pastor's wife, just know that there are many times she shares me with you as a church family. I don't say that proudly like, like, you know, praise Pastor Ken this morning. No, I say Joanna is a blessed woman. uh, No, that's not the way it should sound. She is a great woman. And I am blessed with her. Boy, I blew that one, didn't I? You wonder why I manuscript my sermons. That's one of the reasons right there. So thank you for just the opportunity to allow me to sit and to soak in God's word last week as Pastor Brandon preached that to us together. As we continue to make our way through the gospel of Mark, let's read now. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. 
Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and even a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, Everything is in parables so that, and here Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6 of the Old Testament, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns." They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit from it thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is our God's word to us. May he plant its truth deep within our hearts. The most difficult one-word question to answer in the English language is the question that many of our two- and three-year-olds begin asking nearly every moment of every day. It's the one-word question, what? Why? Why? Why does nearly 90% of the American population enjoy watermelon, but I can't? Why can people, both men and women, hit a drive, hit a golf ball straight down the middle of a fairway, but I can't? Why do gas prices keep skyrocketing at a record pace and they're still rising? You say, Pastor Ken, shut it down right there. We've heard enough this morning. Why? Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, is a why text of Scripture, where Jesus gives his followers the inside scoop on this question, why? This is one of the secrets of the kingdom, Jesus says, which means that those who don't love and follow Jesus aren't going to get this, but those who do will get why the responses to Jesus are so varied. That's the big question this text answers. 
I mean, why do a whole bunch of crazy smart people not believe on Jesus? People like Elon Musk, who was raised Anglican. On May 9th, he tweeted this, I'm okay with going to hell if that is indeed my destination, since the vast majority of humans who have ever been born will be there. And then, we all know people who grew up in a Christian home and a gospel-preaching church, and then they reach their early adulthood and they abandon Jesus altogether. Why? I have extended family members of my own who fit into this category. They have Christian parents. They attended a well-known church pastored by a well-known pastor and author named David Jeremiah. So they were taught the same Bible truth that I got growing up. They heard the same Bible stories. They sang the same songs. So why have they abandoned Jesus outright while I'm a pastor pleading with people to come to Jesus now? And then, why do some well-known, gifted communicators of the gospel, pastors, leave pastoral ministry because they've left the faith altogether? Pastors like Chuck Templeton of Billy Graham's day and Joshua Harris of our day. Why do they leave Jesus while so many who sat in the pews of their churches still keep on following Jesus? Jesus answers those questions right here. He is telling us why different people have different responses to the very same message. But, don't miss this, there is a bigger question for us to answer from this text. Because it isn't just about other people. It's about us. It's about how we personally respond to Jesus and his message. And that's a life or death thing. That's a heaven or hell thing. Because when Jesus tells this parable of the four soils, notice here that only one soil produces fruit. Only one soil yields eternal life. The other three produce eternal death. So this is serious stuff. This is infinitely serious stuff. And to really feel the punch of this parable, we need to consider the context here. Listen, context matters, right? I mean, have your words ever been taken out of context to be used against you? When I say, I love you, it means different things in different contexts. Because this past Friday, we went with another couple to Texas Roadhouse to celebrate our anniversary. And every time I'm at Texas Roadhouse and the, the waiter or the waitress brings to me that slab of steak on my plate, you know what I do when I look at it? I say, I love you. <laughs> I mean, God's gift to us, steak. Ah, perfectly done, just medium to medium rare, and man, it just melts in your mouth. Some of you, it's only 11 o'clock, all right? Got another hour before it's lunchtime. We'll be out by then, Lord willing. 
So when that steak arrives on my plate, I'm like, man, I love you. I thank you, Jesus, for this slab of steak. But that means something totally different than when I say to Joanna on the way home from Texas Roadhouse, baby, thank you for 28 years. I love you. Context matters. And earlier, right here in Mark chapter 3, we've seen various responses to Jesus in this very context. The Jewish religious leaders have labeled Jesus as bad. They are saying that Jesus is possessed by Satan. That's how he's doing all of his miracles. And so they want to kill him. Jesus' own family responds to Jesus by saying that Jesus is mad, that he's loony. He's got a screw loose because he actually is believing that he is the son of God and that he's doing these things thinking that he is the son of God. But then we've got the disciples of Jesus. They've left everything to follow Jesus. They're all in for Jesus. They believe on him as their Lord and Messiah and King. And then there are the crowds who, like the Energizer bunny, keep going and going and going after Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, they're there with him. But most of them aren't there to believe on him. They're there as thrill seekers. They want to be wowed by Jesus and his miraculous power. They aren't interested in what he has to say. They're just simply enamored by what he can do. The crowds are huge. And they keep coming and coming and coming. And notice here in this text in Mark chapter 4 verse 1 that they're pressing in so hard against Jesus that Jesus hops into a boat and pushes himself out into the Sea of Galilee to teach. And I can just imagine that everybody there, when this happens, they're, they're shushing one another. Hey, listen, Jesus is about to begin. This is going to be big, so be quiet. I want to hear this. And Jesus breaks out into a parable in verses 3 through 8. Now, I've always been taught that parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. It's where Jesus uses simple everyday analogies to help people understand profound truth. But as we learn in this parable, you've got to have at least some understanding of the truth that's being illustrated before you can get the point. And so Jesus says to the crowds, listen, I'm going to tell you a story about a farmer who went out to sow seed. Now, I can just imagine that right off the bat, some in the crowd begin throwing shade at Jesus. Story of a farmer? Jesus, we didn't come to hear you talk about a farmer. We came to see you make the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf to hear. We even left work early, Jesus, to come and see you, to be wowed by your power. And you're going to tell us a story about a farmer? What's up with that? You're just a carpenter. But Jesus continues his story about the farmer sowing seed. Now, here's where we need a little cultural context because in that day when a farmer was planting a crop, he would take a pouch and he would fill it with seed and then he would scatter that seed on, in rows on either side of his path. And then he would take out a hoe or something like that and plow the dirt and mix the excuse me, mix the soil with the seed. But notice here, that's not what this farmer does in Jesus' story. And that's what catches everyone's attention. Because notice here, this farmer is taking that seed out of his pouch and he's just tossing it indiscriminately, kind of all willy-nilly everywhere. And so some of the seed falls on the hard, packed-down soil of the path. 
And notice here that seed doesn't sprout. It just sits on top of that rock-hard soil, and the birds come and have it for lunch. But the farmer doesn't quit. He keeps on throwing his seed, even on the rocky soil. Now, in much, in much of Israel, much of the soil is very shallow. It's a very thin layer with bedrock underneath it. I'm not sure. Has anybody ever been to Tennessee? Did you know that Tennessee is one of the, is one of the new places that everybody from Illinois is moving to? Now, I want to tell you something about Tennessee before you decide that God is calling you to leave his country of Illinois. Here's something you need to understand. The soil is the very same in Tennessee. That's why they don't have basements in Tennessee. The soil is just a thin layer covering massive bedrock beneath. That's why when you go through Tennessee, you don't see much farming happening there. Although there's enough soil... To enable that seed to initially sprout, there isn't enough soil there to sustain the seedling. So when the hot June sun arrives, like it's going to happen this week when we hit the mid or upper 90s here, that seedling then withers and dies because its roots can't go deep. And just imagine, that by the time that Jesus gets to this point of his story, people in the crowd are thinking, my word, this farmer is a joke. You know, he's wasting his seed, just throwing it everywhere. Everyone knows you don't sow seed on hard ground or rocky ground. And now, Jesus, you're going to tell us that this farmer sows seeds in soil that's already mixed with the the seeds of thorns? Just hold on a second. I say to you, wait for it, because Jesus is making an important point here. You see, the seed doesn't just sprout among the thorn seeds and become a seedling. Notice here, it grows. But the thorns do too. And they overtake the plant and they choke it out so that it fails to produce any fruit before it withers and dies. Now, I am so thankful that Jesus didn't stop his story there because the ending is unbelievable. In verse 8, Jesus tells the crowd that some seed falls on that rich, fertile soil like we have up here in northern Illinois, and it sprouts, and it grows, and it produces fruit. This is the defining moment in the parable. The first three soils produce nothing, which which is not evident at the time of planting but becomes evident over time, over weeks and months. So there is a time component to Jesus' story here. Even with the fertile soil, which over those weeks and months produces a bumper crop. Now, we're used to these kinds of yields here in modern-day America. But did you know that in Jesus' day, the average yield was about eightfold? So when Jesus says that this fertile soil produces 30-fold and 60-fold and some even 100-fold, the people who are listening are blown away. This is a huge yield, Jesus. It's such a good ending. Great story. Thanks for putting in the final chapter there because before that, this was a pretty depressing story. 
And as everyone is packing up their blankets and rounding up their kids to go home, Jesus says, just a minute. Hold on. I've got one final word for you. And if you miss this, you'll miss the whole point of the story. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Yeah, Jesus, you know, we hear you. We, we listen to your story. We, we love the ending, even if it was a bit unbelievable and over the top. But, but we don't get it. What's the point? You know, nobody got it. Not even Jesus' followers. And so after the crowd packs up and goes home, his disciples come to Jesus privately. And I can just imagine the conversation kind of going like this. It's probably Peter who's willing to, you know, to open his mouth. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, um, um, Jesus, maybe this is a stupid question, but what was that story all about? Because we don't get it either. What's the point of the parable. Now, don't miss this, please. Don't miss this because their question is the point to the parable. Those, here it is, those whose hearts belong to Jesus respond to Jesus. Let me repeat it. Those whose hearts belong to Jesus respond to Jesus. They keep coming back for more of the word. They want to get it. They want to understand it so that they can apply it and grow from it. That's what sets a Christian's heart apart from a non-Christian's heart. And so I can just imagine Jesus saying to his disciples, you know, I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to give you some, some inside information here. It's, it's like a family secret. You're going to get it because you receive my word. But everybody else who's packed up and gone home, they aren't going to get it. But you know, that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't discourage me. Because my father said that this would happen way back in Isaiah chapter 6. The people would be blinded to my identity. That their ears would be deaf to my word. You know why? You know why they don't see and why they don't hear? Because they don't want to. They don't want to. If they did... They would see me, and they would hear me, and they would turn to me and repent, and I would forgive them. Now, when you look at verses 11 and 12 in your Bibles, I want you to know that a whole lot of people get tripped up here. It's a hard text. Hundreds of gallons, if not thousands of gallons of ink down through the years have been spilled by Bible scholars and um, those writing Bible commentaries explaining what Jesus in their mind is saying here. Don't get tripped up by this. It's what I just shared with you. If people wanted to come to Jesus, Jesus would receive him. That's why he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I, get this, I will give you rest. 
God knows the human heart, though, is hard against Jesus. And so he predicts way back 750 years before Jesus that this is the response Jesus is going to overwhelmingly get. People are going to be blind to him. They aren't going to want to hear him and they are not going to turn to him. Let me try to illustrate what Jesus is saying here in verses 11 and 12. How many of you have, how many of you as a family have an inside joke? Anybody have an inside joke as a family? Okay, there are seven families, eight families, and our family is raising their hand. Um, you know, maybe it's something funny one of the kids once said. Maybe it's a line from a movie that you guys are always quoting to one another. Maybe it's something embarrassing that dad has done like I did when I ran my head straight into our partially lowered garage door and landed flat on my backside. So we were pulling out of the garage, backing out of the garage one day, and um, I had forgotten something in the house. And so I put the garage door back up, but I stopped it about a foot from the top. And then I got out of our, well, at that time we were driving a Suburban with all the kids the Lord had given us. And so we were driving a Suburban, and as I made my way out of the Suburban and walked near the garage, I was just, I was enamored with our yellow roses that I had planted. And I looked at them and I said, wow, wow, Kenneth, you've done well. And that's the last thing I remember. Because I ran straight, my forehead hit that garage door, and it hit so hard that I did land on my back, flat on my back. My jaw was sore for weeks. And everybody in the, in the suburban saw it happen. And so now, by the way, they didn't care if I was okay. I could have had a broken neck. I could be paralyzed this morning from the neck down. And they were in the suburban laughing. And so even now when we're in a crowd and one of our kids says something about a garage door, everybody in our family laughs out loud, but everybody else is like, wait, did I miss something there? Because I don't think that's very funny. We don't get it. You know, we get it as a family. They don't because we're on the inside. We've got the inside scoop. We're in the know. And the inside scoop here is that notice Jesus is the farmer. Jesus is the farmer. Now today, we could apply this to anyone who is speaking Jesus' word. Sunday school teachers, school teachers, kids for truth leaders, youth leaders, you as parents in your home as you are teaching the word to your children. At work, when you give out little seeds of the word here and there, when God gives you the opportunity, we could extrapolate this truth out to apply it to us. I want to say to you, don't be discouraged When people don't respond, they didn't respond to Jesus either. And he's the master teacher. The inside scoop here is that Jesus is the farmer. The seed is the word. He is speaking. He is casting his seed into the hearts of everyone who is around him, including the scribes and the Pharisees, including his own family, including his followers, and including those crowds that are enamored with his power. Everybody gets the same word. But notice, it's their response to his word that varies greatly. 
just like it will this morning when we walk out of these doors. So let me ask you the big question from this text for you. What will your response be to what Jesus says? That's what the applications to this parable are all about. And that's why Jesus asked his disciples in verse 13, listen, if you don't get this parable, how will you get any of the parables? And so this is the big parable. This is the foundation parable that Jesus tells. This is the parable that sets the stage for everything else Jesus says. It's the parable of will you believe? Will you receive my word? It's all about how we respond to his message. And the truth is that first, notice, some hearts are hard against that message. Like the beaten down path through the field. The the seed falls on people's hearts, but it doesn't penetrate their hearts. Hey, hey, people say things like this. Hey, if if people in the world today want to believe on Jesus, good for them. I'm not going to stop them. But know that Jesus isn't for me. And when that's the response, notice that Satan comes along and immediately takes away that seed. And so I plead with you, friend, this morning. I plead with you from the depths of my soul with extended family members of my own family that this has happened to. I plead with you. Do not harden your heart against Jesus. Don't be this person. Don't walk away this morning packing up your stuff and leaving and just saying, that's not for me. Some hearts are hard. And then secondly, some hearts are shallow. And when the word of God lands on their hearts mercifully, they respond immediately with joy. But notice it doesn't last. You know why? It's simply an empty emotional response. It's like when you get caught up in the emotions, when you get caught up in the moment when you're being sold a timeshare at that resort in the Bahamas and with everything so beautiful around you and and the water so clear in front of you and they're feeding you until you can't eat anymore and you say, sign me up, baby, and then you come home. And you're like, what did I just do? You failed to count the cost. It was an emotional response in that moment. These people that the soil, excuse me, the seed lands on the soil of their hearts and immediately they respond joyfully. They get caught up in the moment of a worship service and they're like, yeah, sign me up, baby. I'll take Jesus. This is all so new, so cool. Yeah, I'm all in but it's also short-lived because it's all an external and emotional experience. So when a girlfriend or a boyfriend later comes to them and says, you know, it can't be both me and Jesus. It's me or Jesus. Their response is, I'm more attached to you than I am to Jesus. So because I don't want to lose you, I'll just lose Jesus. And they walk away, proving that they really never did have Jesus. Just like those with, thirdly, a divided heart. 
It's the seed that's sown among the thorn and thistle seeds. It it sprouts, and for some time, things look so promising until the plant becomes entangled in the everyday weeds of life, the weeds of a career or a hobby or the love of money or stuff. And the heart that they say they've given to Jesus, they begin to give to other things, and they slowly but surely wither and fade spiritually until they die. Because as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, you can't serve two masters. You can't have two kings. You can't love two lords. You just can't. I remember, I remember a young man named Donnie. Donnie came and to one of our church services growing up in my home church where my dad was the pastor, and Donnie professed faith in Jesus during his high school years. And Donnie's life changed radically and drastically and quickly, and he, he became one of the greatest prayers I had ever known as a young person. I mean, on Wednesday nights during prayer meeting, as dad would dismiss us after the teaching time, we'd walk down to the basement into one of the, the rooms of, of the basement at Calvary Baptist Church in Adrian, Missouri, and we'd kneel on those old aluminum folding chairs. Remember those? Our knees on the floor. And Donnie could pray in such a way that there were times I literally began to believe that God had joined us on our knees on that concrete floor. But just a year later, just a year later, Donnie didn't just quit coming to church. He quit on Jesus altogether. As far as I know, Donnie is still denying his faith in Jesus. And it breaks my heart to remember those times and those days. I hadn't thought about that much until just this week. How could something that began so promising turn so suddenly and end in a spiritual fatality? How? Stuff. Donnie began giving his heart away to all the money and stuff of this world. And slowly but surely, it choked the signs of eternal life right out of him, proving that the faith he professed wasn't ever real. So I need to ask you this morning, what do you really want out of life? What are you really after in life? What are you giving your heart to? It's not that a career is wrong. It's not that a hobby is wrong. It's not that money is wrong. It's not that stuff is wrong. None of those things are wrong in and of themselves, but they become an issue when we begin to give our hearts to them and we fall in love with them. I plead with you this morning, don't give your heart away to the things that cannot eternally satisfy. Give your heart to Jesus and Jesus Jesus alone because he will satisfy. 
And it is he who says right here, proving that truth to us, that the fourth soil, the fourth soil pictures a fruitful heart, an abundant heart, an overflowing heart, a heart that possesses eternal life and fruit that will live on past this world. These are the people who receive the word, accept the word, and bear fruit from the word. They give real hard life evidence of genuine saving faith. They feed their souls on God's word. They put down roots deep into the word so that when the storms of life come and and knock them over and knock them down, they're able to get back up again. Even when they falter, even when they fail, and they all will, they will still keep coming back to Jesus for more of Him. They take shelter in Him because their hope is in Him. They keep on trusting Him because they really do know Him. They keep on following Him, not perfectly, but steadily because Jesus has captured their heart. He keeps them going. He keeps them growing. And some of them yield 30-fold and some 60-fold and some 100-fold. But I want you to notice here, it isn't really the amount of the yield that's important here. It's that the followers of Jesus keep on bearing fruit. They keep on keeping on through the hard times when the questions are many and the answers are few, through the painful times when life really, really, really hurts, through the dry times when nothing eternally significant or beneficial seems to be happening. In all those times, they don't fall away from Jesus. They keep coming back to Jesus for more of Jesus. Because they are the ones who truly believe the word of Jesus. Is that you? Have you believed Jesus? If not, that can be you this morning. You're hearing the word. It's Jesus calling to you. It's Jesus drawing you through his spirit. You see, Jesus didn't just come to tell great stories to people like you and me. He came to give his life by laying it down for sinners like you and me. That's love. He came to give his life so that we could have real life eternal life, fruitful life, abundant life. Like Jesus says in John 10, verse 10, I am come that they have, might have life and have life abundantly. But do you know what that's going to mean for Jesus when he says this? There's only one way that dead people can have life abundant. And that's that the author of life and the source of all life has to lay down his life and die. Because as Jesus will say in a later parable, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bring life. And that's what Jesus does for us. 
In that parable, Jesus is speaking of himself. And in a very real sense, in this parable, the seed that dies and grows and produces fruit is also not only the word, the word, the the, the written word, but the living word, Jesus himself. He dies to give us life. He dies to bring the dead to life because we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. And Jesus takes the place we deserve on the cross, paying for our sins, dying for our sins, tasting the wrath of the Father against our sins, so that he could bring us to life. Have you trusted him? Will you this morning trust him? See, the only way that we can have life, we read in the very next verse in John 10, verse 11, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So will you receive Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone this morning? It's no accident that you're here, hearing a parable on the hearing of the word. Let that word penetrate your soul this morning and let that word become fruitful in your heart this morning and trust in Jesus and believe on Jesus because he makes you this promise in John 3 verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's how close life is to you this morning. Take it. I plead with you. Hear Jesus calling and come to him. He will give you life. And then believer in Jesus. Here's the primary application this morning for you. Your ears will follow your heart. You will only hear the word You will only listen to the word as much as you want the word. Can I ask, do you have a heart for God's word? Do you walk into this room on Sundays longing for and looking forward to hearing God speak from his word? You know that I love singing with you on Sunday mornings. I love it. But you know, it isn't really about the songs. The devil would love it to be all about the songs. And in many churches, it's become all about the songs. Both those who are happy with the songs and those who are unhappy with the songs. The devil sits in the last row of the balcony, cackling, happy. Because it isn't really about the songs. I love just being with you on Sundays. I love chatting with you after the service. I love, I live for this time together as God's people. I don't just love that. I need that. But there's something I need more. I need the word. And in this text, we learn that there is so much more eternal stuff happening right here, right now, than we'll ever know. When God's word is spoken, a cosmic conflict is being waged on the turf of our hearts. Because as we learn right here, Satan will do everything he can to keep us from the liberating, life-giving power of the word. 
So can I ask, do you arrive on Sunday mornings rested and ready to hear from God? Because Satan wants you to walk into this room all worn out because you stayed out late last night watching Top Gun. How do you come in? How do you arrive? And then once you get here and the singing is done, how do you listen? Do you listen to God's word in an intensely personal way? Or is it more of a distant and disconnected way? Because during the entire sermon, you're thinking about everybody else who really needs to hear this. You're hoping your kids are tuned in and your spouse is tuned in. And that person sitting across the auditorium who has a problem with you, you're hoping that they're tuned in because they're the ones that really need this. Listen, I've been in ministry long enough to have people shake my hand after the service and say to me, thank you, PK, for preaching the word today. I'm sure glad John and Sally were here to hear it because they really need it. I've actually had people multiple times tell me that. How do you listen? Intentionally? Personally? Or distantly and disconnectedly? And then how do you leave when we're done? And you pack up your stuff like all the people did here, and you walk out these doors and you go home. Are you deeply moved and affected by God's word? Satan wants you to walk out of this place no different than when you came in. He wants you to walk out thinking or wishing, you know, I wish PK would have hit on my pet issues today. Frankly, Pastor Ken, we need to hear more about politics. We need to hear more about the dangers of drinking alcohol. We need to hear more about the sin of homosexuality. Pastor Ken, you haven't preached on those things enough lately. And often we want to hear those things because those are easy for us to hear because we don't struggle with those things. How do you leave when God's word has been preached? How do you listen when God's word is being preached? How do you arrive when God's word will be preached? Friends, each time we fail to receive the word to ourselves and believe the word for ourselves and assimilate the word within ourselves, each time we do that, it becomes easier to ignore the word for ourselves. And the more we ignore it, the less we'll want it. And the less we want it, the more our hearts will become hardened to it. So I plead with you, I plead with you, Don't let your heart go there. Listen intentionally and then respond positively. It's the eternal difference between those who are going to heaven and those who are not. Because as we read in John 6, verse 68, these are the words of eternal life. These And so I leave you with the words Jesus left this crowd with. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Father. 
plant these words deep within the soil of our hearts. That we may grow in that abundant life, that fruitful life that you have promised. May we be affected, deeply moved by your word this morning. May it not just be an empty exercise of the habit of coming to church. May this morning we have met face to face with Jesus and heard firsthand the words from Jesus intended for our heart. If you're not a believer in Jesus this morning, you can be right now. I plead with you. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. You will be saved right now. Don't harden your heart. Come to him. Believe on him. Repent of your sins and turn to him. He will give you life. Eternal life. Abundant life. And Christian, how are you doing at hearing the word and applying the word, growing in the word? May God give his ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to love. Don't give your heart away to other things. Give it always and only to Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.